Hello, my praying people. I want to share with you that right now as we're moving from, well, when I'm recording this, we're kind of moving from February to March. We are closer than we have ever been on getting our virtual prayer clinic up and running. This virtual prayer clinic um, open house, that's what it is. It's a virtual prayer clinic open house. In the virtual prayer clinic open house, you'll have the opportunity to spend some time with me and with some of my prayer clinic team members learning exactly what the prayer clinic ministry is, how powerful God uses it in our church, and um, perhaps gain a vision for how he might use it amongst your people too. I'm, I'm so excited. The videos have turned out amazing. And the course is going to be so easy to, um, to, to walk through. You'll be able to do it at your own pace. And um, when it's over, every single month we'll have a live Q&A time for you to get on a Zoom meeting with me and ask any questions you might have about the prayer clinic ministry as we work diligently towards starting a prayer clinic at your church. I cannot tell you how um, powerful this prayer clinic ministry has been at Thompson Station Church. This is just this weekend. In fact, right now while I'm recording this, we have over 300 young people, 6th grade through 12th grade, um, participating in what we call Reach Weekend. It's kind of a D-NOW if you're familiar with that term, but it's a winter retreat for, high, for students in middle school and high school. And throughout the weekend, our prayer clinic team members have been in the prayer room praying over these kids by name. We had a, a team of us who walked all over the campus praying in every room, touching many of the seats and, and just lifting the weekend up with prayer. And what's so beautiful about this is this is not just... Um, uh, you know, people that kind of are bumbling about. These are people that have committed themselves to become highly trained prayer uh, warriors, people that can handle accurately the Word of God and pray it into circumstances and situations. And God's moving. Oh my goodness, is He working so incredibly. He's told us already what He'll do. That what He wants more than anything is for our churches to be houses of prayer. And it's by having an, an organized, a systematic approach to doing prayer ministry in the church that you you can accomplish that in your church too. So anyway, I'm excited about it. Hopefully um, in the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be able to tell you exactly where you can go to um, participate in and register for and participate in our virtual prayer clinic open house. And then I can meet you face to face in a live Q&A. I have um, right now, I believe we're going to be uh, finishing up our series of podcasts on praying through pain and suffering. And I want you to be encouraged by what I'm about to share with you today. And, um, and I hope that you won't only be encouraged by it, but that you'll share this podcast with anyone who comes to your mind that might also need the encouragement of these truths that I'm about to share. So thank you for joining us and enjoy this podcast. Hello, my praying people. I want to talk to you a little bit today about how God is both your promise keeper, but also your provision. You know, when you find yourself praying through pain and suffering, you most likely will experience God in one of two ways. Either He's given you a promise that tells you where you're ultimately going and when the situation is going to be resolved. So He gives you a promise 
that's out there. It's like um, picking up a book and reading the last chapter first, uh, like a fiction book that's telling a story. And so even if things are coming apart in chapters 5, 6, and 7, you already know what, how it's going to be brought to an end because you've read the end and you know the end from the beginning. So either he's given you a promise that tells you where you're ultimately headed and then he invites you to trust that no matter what's happening in the right here and the right now, that he is going to get you there. Now, either God does that or he has assured you that he'll reveal the way for you every single step of the way. And so you don't really know where you're going. Like you don't have a specific in mind or even... Um, an actual this is where we're headed but instead you just have the assurance that step by step God's going to um, say walk this way now let's go that way and so if this is what he's doing with you he's invited you to trust him with where it is that you're going to eventually end up does that make sense when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, they experienced God in both these ways, if you think about it. While they were wandering around in the wilderness, they knew that they were going to some mysterious promised land. And while they were um, waiting to get there, while they were in their journey on their way there, they would reflect on what was said about this promised land and how good it was going to be when they got there. And so they knew that they were that, that was what God had promised. It was actually even called the promised land. But then they were led day by day by the actual um, manifest presence of God. In the daytime, he manifested his presence. He made his presence known with a cloud and at night, God made his presence known with um, a pillar of fire. And so the Israelites gave us a great example of what it's like to pray through anything. But we're talking specifically about praying through pain and suffering. And given both the Israelites, when they were given both the promise of their destination and the physical evidence of the daily presence of God leading them, what we read in their story is that they still struggled along the way. And I don't know about you, but when I would dive into the story of the Israelites and camp out with them a bit in the wilderness, I would get so aggravated with them because I would be like, come on, guys. Don't you know that God is trustworthy, that he's going to get you there? But maybe part of the reason I could feel that way was because I'd already read Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. You know, I'd already read um, uh, the future, and they hadn't had the um, opportunity to do that. They were living on the other side of that. And so the future was still totally up to God, and, and they were in the present where they wanted to believe, but they just didn't know for sure. And so we got to cut them some slack, especially when we find ourselves in a similar place. Don't we get tired of eating the same thing? And don't we get hungry for something different? Don't we long for some kind of evidence of the supernatural and get frustrated when the journey God's got us on takes far longer than we expected? Yeah, I used to want to smack those Israelites and tell them if they just trust God, they could save themselves so much heartache. 
But then, when I found myself in the midst of my own wilderness wanderings, I began to realize how hard it really is. Before I knew it, I realized that I treated my wilderness just like they treated theirs. Sometimes trusting God and rejoicing in His goodness toward me, remembering what He had done in the past, and then sometimes complaining. Mostly, mostly my complaints are about how long it's taken us to get there. (laughs) And there being the place that I've allowed my imagination to paint every time He assures me of His promised land. You know, my friends, I used to think that the goal of my Christian life was to figure out how best to travel quickly between my glories. And, um, you know, the times in our lives when all is well and it's easy to sing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus because he's got everything in our lives humming in a beautiful rhythm with our actually seeing and understanding that he's good and that his love is is really easy to accept because we're experiencing it every minute of every day. But then I got stuck in the long two, I call it, the glory unto glory. And I got stuck in the long, I guess, unto, (laughs) the space in between the glories where everything in my life is not humming. And instead of barely Instead, those things are barely bumbling and bumping about in the darkness and being clawed at and scratched at. And I find myself in a terrible tussle with principalities and authorities of darkness who are intent on seeing that I stay in these terrible in-between spaces where the most I can muster is a trembling, onward, Christian soldiers! (laughs) You know, we're marching us to war. Just whispering the words out, trying to remember that that is who we are and that is what we do. And um, if you're not familiar with the glory unto glory, being transformed from glory to glory, the biblical reference is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, Listen as I read the verses 12 through 18 in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness. Wait, i, I got to stop right there because that just hit me in a big kind of way. Because we have hope, we express it through our boldness. Let's hang on to that and we may circle back around. All right, verse 13. We're not like Moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the Israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away. And I, I want to pause right there to give you the history of that. So Moses, when he was leading the Israelites in the wilderness, <clears throat> you know that that God gave him a place called the Tent of Meeting. And only Moses could go in there. Um, the glory of God would appear to Moses inside that tent. The scripture says that Moses got to speak to God face to face. And we know that doesn't mean that he sat down and actually got to see the face of God. The, the reason we don't know that is, I mean, the reason we know that that's not what happened is because later Moses is begging to have an even um, closer and more intimate encounter with God and God says to him that if he were to do that his physical person could not contain it and it would kill him and so God said but because I love you so much and because you're so eager to have this I will hide you with my hand in the cleft of the rock and I will let my glory pass by in front of you and you can gaze at my back 
and that's just an amazing beautiful um encounter that shows us how intimate moses's relationship with god was but this verse 13 that says we're not like moses who used to put a veil over his face so that the israelites could not stare at the end of what was fading away what happened was when moses went into the tent of meeting where the presence of god was so thick and so rich and so real that Moses, when he came out of the tent of meeting, not only was he certain about what God wanted him to say to the people, but he also, his face literally glowed having been in the presence of God. Maybe it was something like what happens to my face when I'm outside in the uh, sun too long at the beginning of the season and I forget to put sunscreen on it. But, um, you know, your face glows with the evidence of you having been exposed to the radiant light of the sun. I think in Moses' case, it wasn't necessarily a sunburn because it was actually the glory of God that had shone on him. And so rather than hurt his skin and make him peel, that glory just gradually faded away. And so what began to happen among the people, because this was their way, really, of praying, they didn't get to pray directly to God. They had to have an, an, a mediary who was Moses. And Moses would represent the people, go into the tent of meeting, come out with the glory of God shining on his face, and speak the words of God. But then the longer time he would be outside the tent of meeting, and the more that glory would fade, Moses began then to wear a veil over his face in order to hide the fading glory. And maybe that was Moses' attempt to still um, convince the people that he would speak in the words of God, even though it had been a little while since he'd been with God. That actually makes me wonder how many pastors um, get up in their pulpits and maybe their faces are veiled because they're just mustering up trying to speak the words of God, but they haven't been or spent much time in the tent of meeting with God. And just think how much more powerful their messages would be if they were to spend time in the presence of God so that the words they speak would be filled with the glorious radiance of God. But I'm getting off the subject. I was wanting to read to you about this glory to glory. And so that, but that's the context that verse 13 comes out of. So, he would um, hide his face with a veil. And then verse 14 says, But their minds were closed. The Israelites, their minds were closed. And then this is Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says, For to this day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains. It is not lifted, because it is set aside only in Christ. And so what Paul's saying is for all of those that are familiar with that history, it's their history, it is their family, their, their heritage, that they continue to have a veil over their face. They don't quite understand what God has revealed about himself because all of the revelation of God is revealed in Christ. And so when the Jewish people were rejecting Jesus, they were that was evidence that the veil was still in place and they weren't connecting that Jesus Christ himself was the revelation of God. And then in verse 15, it says, Even to this day, this is when Paul's writing, Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But, now at verse 16, Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. And then verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So in the biblical context of what Paul's saying, he's talking about how the Lord Jesus Christ has brought the full revelation of God, and now God has actually allowed His Spirit to be birthed into His people, into His church, and that the Spirit of the Lord is among us. That's what he's saying to them. The Spirit of the Lord is here. He is among us. And so now we, because our our eyes have been opened to the spiritual reality of God and how He personally relates to us, we are able to literally... Um, look in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and when we're looking at each other we're we're seeing the same Lord in these that are in us I want to tell you about something that happened this week where this literally happened to me I, I saw the reality of we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror the at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed in the same image I invited our area prayer leaders together, people on the church staff in our local community, to come together for a time of prayer on Thursday morning. And my friends, it was a gully washer of rain here in Middle Tennessee that day. And so several were not able to make it, understandably so, because some of our roads were flooded. And I didn't know whether to expect two or three or eight. Eight was how many I thought we'd have. Well, when 10 o'clock rolled around, there were 10 people from six different churches who came together. And I did not know any of them well. I knew of them, but I did not know them. But I want you to know that as we circled up and began to share where we were, what the challenges are in our congregations, and you know how delighted we are to know each other, we spent 45 minutes uninterrupted just praying I mean free-flowing prayer as if we had been friends and family for years and so that was a group with unveiled faces who could very quickly in a circle feel as if we're looking in a mirror and immediately the spirit in me connected with the spirit in her who connected with the spirit in him and we were all together able to come and one accord with the same heart and the same mind and um, experience some of this glory to glory living um, because of the beautiful work of the Spirit of the Lord God Almighty. So anyway, that's the scripture and a little bit of my commentary along the way. In these verses, Paul is explaining to the Corinthians that when the words of the Lord are spoken to people, a veil remains over their spiritual eyes and ears and unless Jesus lifts that veil, they remain in the dark. They continue to believe that the truth is a lie and the lie is the truth. And so it's, it really boils down for everybody. <clears throat> excuse me. What do you do with Jesus? What do you make of Jesus? Like, who is Jesus to you? Um, if you find yourself veiled, now, now listen to me, even if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like you have reconciled um, with 
the Lord God Almighty at the foot of the cross. You have recognized the exchange. Jesus has lifted the veil over your mind and your heart, and you understand what it means to say, Oh God, it's me. I was the one. I am the sinner. Thank you for dying for me and, and Jesus for standing in the gap. And I totally trust you and believe you, and I've accepted you into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Even if you, like me, you did that a long time ago, or if you did it yesterday, or if... <coughs> excuse me, you're thinking about doing it right now. Even along the way, you can find yourself veiled again. And by veiled, I mean that you can find yourself feeling separated from the peace and the power and the deep joy that God himself provides, even in the midst of whatever circumstances you find yourselves in. You see, even if you're in the worst of the worst situation, the pain and the suffering. An unveiled person continues to experience the peace, the power, and the deep joy that God provides. Now, if you're not experiencing that, then the place for you to go is back to Jesus. Go back to the cross. In your mind, with your imagination, imagine yourself back at that same place, wherever you were, whatever it was, in whatever way that God revealed himself to you, when you made that exchange, my life for yours, Lord, your, your death for mine, it, wherever you were when you made that exchange, go back to that place and reflect on what he has done for you. You see, when Jesus died, the veil that separated the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies. You remember the, the setting, the way the temple was built was that there was an outer court, then there was an inner court, and then there were the Holy of Holies where only one priest could go one time a year. And even then they tied a rope on his ankle in case um, he died in the presence of God. So the Holy of Holies was this place that was so sacred and, and so powerful that only that consecrated person who had gone through all this um, exchanging, like paying for the sins on him could go there. But what Jesus did when he died on the cross, there was a curtain that separated the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies, and that curtain was ripped in two from the top to the bottom. And Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and because he was the fulfillment of all of what God was um, illustrating throughout the Old Testament, it was all building a picture toward Jesus. Maybe we'll do a whole series on what all that was, or parts of it anyway. Maybe we will, leading up to Easter. Anyway, he he demolished that separation, and so when when the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us that because of what Jesus has done, we can come boldly into the throne room of God. It means that we can go and circle around the, the in essence, the Holy of Holies and draw straight to the presence of God. Do you realize what a privilege that is? I mean, in the, the Israelites way back in Exodus, it said the men would stand at their tent and watch Moses walk past them. And they would stand at their tents and watch the tent of meeting. Because they were so eager to hear what was going on in there. And they couldn't wait to get a word from God. They were desperate for him. They longed for him. They wanted to connect with him. And now, because of Jesus, we can connect with him at any time, anywhere, and, and with anything on our heart. And that connection is powerful. Powerful. 
We have the power to draw near to God and for Him to give us all that we need for where we are right here and right now. Now, I, I know and I and I encourage you and I too am empowered by clinging tight to the promises God's given me. Like I love where God's taken me. And most often, to be quite honest, my walk with the Lord lately has been that he, he lets me read the, the end of the book first. And I read that and I'm and I'm good, you know, because it's good. <laughs> what that God promises is is amazing. And and I'm like, okay, okay, this is where we're going. But then I get on the path to make it to that place, and and the path takes me on twists and turns and sometimes setbacks, like where I feel like I just go over cliffs and crumpled up at the bottom and have to start over again. And I wonder if I'm gonna survive and if I can hang on to this promise till I get there. And that might that feeling that I feel along the way might be what's triggering me to to share this with you today. Because what I'm realizing is that because at any point in time I can say the name of Jesus. He comes to my rescue. And in the presence of Jesus, I can experience peace because he's the Prince of Peace. That's what he brings. I can have my resources filled up because he has everything I need for every step I take. And um, so the point is that we serve a promise-keeping provision supplying savior you see he not only keeps his promise that we are winning this war and that even we're winning these battles but <coughs> he also feeds us and clothes us and makes sure that our shoes do not wear out and is the lifter of our head and the encourager of our heart as we're living in the moments between right now and when we get there the God who promises to take us to the other side is the same God who guarantees he will supply us with everything we need to get us from here to there. Here's some things to keep in mind when you find yourself wandering in the wilderness. And I want to let you know that I'm making a blog post out of these um, four things that I'm about to share with you. So you can go and read them again. And then I want to encourage you also to share them uh, like on your social media post or with people you know need to know. But here are four things to keep in mind when you find yourself wandering in the wilderness. Number one, God cares. He knows this is hard. And he cares that you're hurting. You see, God has compassion on you. And he will meet you where you are. This morning I was sitting in my room where I had my quiet time. And and um, I was crying. I, and, and listen to me, friends. It is not a lack of faith for you to weep over the things that you are um, that you are desperate for. That's not a lack of faith. That is um, that's digging in. That's feeling deep. That's that's allowing what's in your heart to just spill out, be vulnerable and honest and transparent with God. And so I was there, and I looked up across the room, and I have a picture hanging on the wall just across from me. And so it's a kind of a pen and ink drawing of Jesus just holding a little lamb, and the lamb just nestled into him. And honestly, I felt like the Lord just said, rest in me just rest in me I will hold you 
I know it's hard. It's painful. You can cry. There is no judgment here. There's no condemnation. I'm not going to tell you you're not believing enough. Like, just rest in me. So first thing is to remember is that God cares. The second thing to remember is that your life is now. Sometimes when we're waiting on God to get us through this, to get to that, or from here to get to there, we miss a whole lot of life. You see, the last time I found myself in the wilderness, it lasted for eight years. And when I got to the other side, I realized that I that I was a whole decade older, almost, than I was when that particular struggle started. And so as I find myself in another wilderness season of my life right now, I have determined not to miss what God has for me today because I'm so because I'm so focused on what I'm having to wait for him to give me tomorrow or next year or um, one person shared in our prayer circle on Thursday morning that it was 34 years later that her prayer was answered. I mean, I don't want to be so focused on where I'm going with that particular prayer request or that, or in that particular pain that I lose 34 years of my life because I could not enjoy the things that are today. And my, my friends, if you will look around, there is, there's goodness in now. There's, there's opportunity in now. There's um, purpose in now. There's peace. There's joy. There are people to be loved. There are people to be encouraged. There are people who are ready to receive Christ while you're praying for those that aren't. I mean, there's so much to do in the right now. So number two is just to remember your life is now. Number three is um, you have a golden opportunity to please God and to reveal him to those around you. This is this pain you're in gives you a unique voice, a voice that is authenticated by your suffering. <clears throat> how you weather your storm will tell people <clears throat> excuse me, how you weather your storm will tell the people you know what you believe about God and who you consider him to be. I, this whole series that we're in right now was inspired by me reading a Caring Bridge site for a little guy named Isaiah who lives in Texas. And the reason I was so compelled and continue to be um, incredibly impacted by his story is because of the way his mom and dad are walking through it. And just with the faith that, that refuses to give up. And um, watching them as they are in the thick of it uh, uh, encourages, it challenges. It, it's why Paul wrote uh, to the, I believe it was to the Church of Corinth also, when he made a list of all the things that happened to him. I've been stoned. I've been imprisoned. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been, he, I've been cold. I've been hungry. All these things that he had been, all of his suffering was authenticating his testimony. It was also proving um, the truth of his message because people don't just hang in there uh, if they are if they are weak or if they don't believe what they believe. And um, it's not just that these guys. I'm thinking about Isaiah's parents. It's not just that they're they they resist the temptation not to believe. It's that they are genuinely 
being satisfied with who God is and how he's handling things. Like they they are choosing to be satisfied with who he's being and how he's handling things while they're waiting on this pain to be relieved and their miracle to come. And Lord God, we just continue to pray for that miracle and we thank you for their beautiful example. And so I'm telling you that when you're going through a hard time, you have a unique opportunity, a golden opportunity to, to please God. And the reason I say please God is because the scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. But if you think about the times that Jesus interacted with people, he was most impressed with what? The faith of those that, that um, might have kind of surprised him because they were not the children of Israel. The faith of the of the um of the Syrophoenician woman that came running after him, even when he was kind of ignoring her because she wasn't part of the chosen ones. And he was teaching his disciples a lesson, but she just kept calling after him. And when she said, even a crumb that falls from the master's table will be more than enough for me, all of us have to realize that she had some incredible faith. Like when she realized and it's true for all of us. Even a crumb from the master's table would be more than enough for us. But she could see and she could know what his own disciples weren't aware of at that time. And he was pleased with that. He was he was impressed. He was pressed with the Roman centurion who came to him and said, My my servant is sick and, and Jesus is like, I'll go and be with him. He said, You don't have to come. He said, you just speak the word and he'll be made well. And the scripture says that Jesus was impressed with that kind of faith. He made an example out of it. So we can please God with how we respond to him. Do we really trust him? Do we, do we really believe that he is as good as he truly is? Are we able to experience his goodness and his loving provision? And are we going to be satisfied with what he's giving us and go ahead and eat what he's feeding us so that we can um, be continue to walk with great strength toward the goal and the place that he's taken us. Don't miss what God has for you today because you're so focused on what you can't wait for him to give you tomorrow. When you walk with your head held high and your shoulders back in full confidence that God not only intends to keep his promise, but also to meet your needs every step of the way, the people around you will recognize that you are sourcing your sanity, not from the circumstances, but from a supernatural place. All right. For those who don't know him, they will be curious. And for those who do, they will be inspired. So my friends, you do have a golden opportunity to please God and to use this specific place to reveal him to those around you. And now number four, only now can you feast on manna. You see, one of the things about the Israelites in the wilderness is that God himself fed them directly from his own hand. Think about that. They're perfectly nutritious, wilderness-wandering diet <laughs> came to them from God's kitchen in heaven. They Now, once they got to the promised land, they were fed the traditional way that God feeds us by cultivating the food that God allows to grow when we put forth the effort. But when they were in the wilderness, away from any food source, they did not plant, 
nor did they harvest what their bodies needed in order to survive on the journey. They were literally fed directly by God. When you're praying in a painful place, when you, when you find yourself in a suffering spot, in this place, God will feed you exactly what you need when you need it. Oh, my praying friends, invite the Lord God Almighty to increase your appetite for His manna. Lord, let me learn to be satisfied with what you choose to feed me here and now. I want to be so confident in your promise and so certain in your wisdom, your power, your love, your timing, that I can be as satisfied with you right here as I am when we get there. Oh God, forgive me for being anxious. Forgive me for complaining. Forgive me for failing to trust you. Forgive me for disdaining the diet and the direction that your love has chosen for me. I will not tolerate or succumb to the enemy's power over me. I will rejoice in God my Savior. I will place my petitions before you and wait in expectation as I serve you here and now. I will sing Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to prove him at his word, just to know the saith. Uh, I'll look up the lyrics. <laughs> oh, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, Precious Jesus, oh, for faith to trust him more. And then we can follow that with, Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. There you go, my friends. I'm not a singer. Now you know why I'm podcasting. <laughs> anyway, let's sing. Let's trust him. Let's eat that manna. And let's keep on moving. Amen. I hope you enjoyed that message on the fact that God is not only our promise keeper, but also our faithful provider, even in the midst of our journey that we're taking to get to that promised land that he's given to us. I want you to, again, be reminded to share this podcast with others that might be encouraged by this word as they're praying through to the breakthrough that God has for them. Don't forget that I actually have two websites online. One is my leannemccoy.com. Of course, I spell my name L-E-I-G-H-A-N-N-M-C-C-O-Y.com. And on that website, you'll find all kinds of resources, materials, and encouragement for your walk with the Lord. Um, it's uh, predominantly a website that has its focus to reach women, as I am a woman. <laughs> and we're encouraging us along the way to trust God, to do what he says he'll do, be who he says he'll be, and that we might be great ambassadors for that truth. Um, you'll find on leannemccoy.com right soon a blog post that will have those four statements that I shared with you on this podcast. So be sure to follow up and you can grab those and teach them next time you're in a small group and share it with others. 
then I want you to know that my other website is simply prayerclinic.com. And at the prayerclinic.com, you can learn more about how you can um, bring vibrancy and life and more people, literally, into the prayer ministry in your church. And I'd love for you to go visit that site and share it with the people that you know in your congregation that are as hungry for the people to be praying as you are. Our goal is to mobilize the church to pray so that when Jesus returns, he'll be able to look around and gather together and be pleased with the faith of his people at the what we used to call churches that now have become houses of prayer. Don't you want your church to be known as a house of prayer? So anyway, um, thanks for being with me and I look forward to chatting with you again next time.